A new statue is needed in Laura Bradley Park, but not everyone is on the same page regarding what it should be. Uh, recently, we have decided to advocate for a return of a statue of Hebe, the Greek goddess of youth. More from the West Bluff Council president just ahead on all things Peoria. Good afternoon, I'm Jody Holtz. Coming up, a look back on what statues have called Laura Bradley Park home over the years and what could potentially be coming to the park in the future. And a bicycle and pedestrian master plan for Pekin could bring some changes to the city. We're looking to possibly use some of our existing infrastructure to um, improve where we can and then maybe add some new infrastructure as well. Plus a deep dive into the problems facing hospitals in central Illinois. Those stories plus local news just ahead. This is WCBU's All Things Peoria on 89.9 FM in WCBU.org. Support for WCBU comes from the General Wayne A. Downing Peoria International Airport. Flying through PIA can take you anywhere. If you're working away from home or taking a new adventure, you can fly local with American, Allegiant, or United Airlines. Trips begin and end at Peoria International Airport. Details at flypia.com. Broadcasting from the campus of Bradley University, this is WCBU's news magazine, All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz, and we have a great show for you today, starting with a little statue controversy. The Peoria Park District removed the Christopher Columbus statue from Laura Bradley Park in 2020 amid a broader national conversation about his controversial legacy, particularly as it pertains to Native people. The Upland's Residential Association would like a new work of art to replace the Columbus statue, but there's some disagreement as to who should take the lead on the project. WCBU's Tim Shelley recently spoke with West Bluff Council President Conrad Stinnett about what they'd like to see happen. Uh, the Columbus statue wasn't the only thing to have occupied that space. From the inception of the park, there were other things. Initially, there was a, a pavilion structure that was taken down, and a Civil War cannon was put in in its place. And then after the Columbus statue proved to be a traffic hazard in the middle of the Uplands neighborhood, that was moved there. So since the inception of the park, there had always been something in that location of Parkside Drive and Columbia Terrace until the Columbus statue was taken down. Instead of a new structure or something else, uh, they put grass in. So uh, there's nothing there. So we were looking at, at having some things put there. Uh, so uh, just to educate your listeners, uh, recently we have decided to uh, advocate for a return of a statue of Hebe, the Greek goddess of youth. Now, the park board initially put a statue of Hebe in Bradley Park in uh, the early part of the 20th century to commemorate Laura Bradley, the daughter of Lydia Moss Bradley. Laura Bradley died at age 14. So the goddess of youth was put in by the park board to commemorate her and uh, make sure that Bradley Park had that aspect of being a memorial to uh, a, a youth who was lost. So uh, that was taken down in 1957, was hit, never put back. So the Uplands Association said, well, this would be wonderful to have a statue of Hebe back in Bradley Park and in that location where we've had other things in the past. So we think it was a perfect solution. So we'll, uh, we, we're trying to get the park board to agree. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was a park board meeting last week, and I think uh, we had Emily Cahill on a few weeks ago, and she said, you know, the park board can't pay for it or they're not going to pay for it. And 
people need to raise that money privately. So, I mean, is that an option? Well, I mean, so they want us to have a bake sale to try to put a statue up to him. And I'm not sure that, you know, particularly since in the past, the park board has made a commitment. They've taken something down, they put something back in. Why is that a problem now? I mean, they, they throw that out. They also have a statue policy, in effect, that was put in after they took the Columbus statue down. So uh, if anything is, is grandfathered in and anything deserves an exception to a rule, it would be this. However, we also said, hey, you've got the Columbus statue sitting in your warehouse. What good is that doing anybody? Why don't you, why don't you put it for sale and use that money to finance a new structure? Yeah. So that's been out there as well. So uh, the park board uh, has asked, we've asked, why don't you do that? I mean, there's, what else? You know, I envision, uh, you know, the original Hebe statue is supposedly in a barn somewhere, according to urban myth. And then I envision in my fanciful imagination the park district having some sort of a warehouse the size of the one at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where they have the, the secrets of the universe and everything. I'm, I'm not sure the park board has that, but they got the Columbus statue. And it's, it, why is, why, what good does it do anybody for it to just sit there? Right. It could go somewhere or museum. I think there was talk about putting it in a museum at some point or another, but... I don't, I don't think they have any, any ideas to the disposition of the statue at this no. time. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's an asset that was entrusted to them, so they need to figure it out. But in the meantime, it was also uh, the relationship with the Uplands neighborhood, the West Bluff. That's also really important. And I think it's worth a few bucks to put in a statue of something that was hit by a car and was we were told it was going to be returned and never did. So it's kind of like the Civil War monument that's now in Springdale. What happened to the he- original Hebe statue? If you can't find it, put a new one up. Yeah, hopefully it's not in the bottom of Detweiler Marina like the Civil War monument. Well, we hope so. Yeah, yeah. we hope it's somewhere. I hope it's in a barn, really. Yeah. Uh, on another topic then, switching gears a little bit, as, as you and I were talking about, um, just neighborhood associations in general. I mean, they're, they're very important in Peoria, especially the West Bluff, and uh, really just keeping that neighborhood cohesion together, keeping people talking. And you said, you know, they kind of, you know, activity dropped a little bit during the pandemic there, but it's coming back now. I think so. And I think that people recognize the value of the neighborhood association. You can, uh, I think there's a question we'll say, they will do this. Well, Tim, they don't do anything. We do that. And that's the purpose of the neighborhood association, promote the interests of the neighbors. The Uplands neighborhood is a wonderful example. You know, we have, they have a problem. They came together. They issued a position. Then they went to the other uh, neighborhood associations via the West Bluff, and we, we have a coherent policy, in effect, that we're able to articulate to the park board and to the community. So uh, the neighborhood associations do. You know, they have a meeting. They have cookouts. They have social activities. They, they uh, educate people on the issues that are going on in our community, which is very important. Uh, we ignorance is not bliss, uh, and it really is important to educate people on what's going on. So the neighborhood associations are good. During the pandemic, you, you'd phone in and go, well, "What's going on?" And everybody was getting by. And now it's like we need to we need to do more. So I'm asking people in the West Bluff, get involved with your neighborhood association. We don't expect everyone to do everything, but we like to see everybody do something. And I think uh, some level of involvement would be wonderful. Benefits you benefits everybody. That was West Bluff Council President Conrad Stinnett speaking with WCBU's Tim Shelley. At the Peoria Park District's last meeting, action was deferred on approving a new statue at Bradley Park until a proposal adhering to park board policy is received. You're listening to All Things Peoria. 
This is All Things Peoria on 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. I'm Jody Holtz. The Tri-County Regional Planning Commission and the City of Pekin are cooperating on a long process to create a bicycle and pedestrian master plan. Officials held a public open house about the master plan last week. They're expected to move on to recommendations and implementation strategies in July, with another public meeting in September and the plan completed by the end of the year. WCBU's Colin Shope speaks with City Engineer Josie Esker to learn more about the process. Basically what we're trying to do here is um, gather information from the the public about what they what the issues that they have right now um, with walking and biking throughout the city of Pekin are and kind of what they're looking for as far as um, what their priorities are for what the city could invest in to make biking and walking easier and more fun. This is kind of the start of a master plan for biking and pedestrians. Um, what phases is this like the very first step in that project process of making the master plan or where is this in the uh, process? Sure. So we've been having some planning meetings on this. Um, the city actually was awarded a grant to create that master plan. So we've been we've been working on it for, well, probably a, a few months now. Um, we've done bicycle plans in the past. It's not like the city has never thought of this as an option before, but we're, we're trying to update um, our existing plan and make it reflect the current needs of the city and you know, our citizens. So, How would you describe sort of the current needs of the city when it comes to biking and getting around? I think we definitely could do better. Um, there is a really nice bicycle trail throughout town that um, the park district owns um, that the, the city kind of helped with during that planning phase. Um, but other than that, we don't have a lot of specific to bicycles um, facilities. So we're looking to possibly use some of our existing infrastructure to um, improve where, where we can and then maybe add some new infrastructure as well to kind of get more than just one long trail, try to get people you know safely to that trail rather than just, um, I, I think it's, it's kind of set up so where it's more used for recreation right now, which is great, you know. Um, there's definitely a place for that in it too. You know, we, we definitely want to focus on the recreation aspect of it as well. But I think we're trying to look more for um, kind of getting people from one place to the other as well, trying to use it as an actual form of transportation and how we can you know, set people up for success and safety as we're doing that. Do you see a demand or kind of a biking community in Pekin? I mean, there's definitely people who bike in Pekin. And I know we have a lot of people who bike recreational on the current trail. Um, and then there's definitely definitely a, a small group of people who who bike for transportation purposes but um i think we're hoping to improve the options for those that don't and just you know if if you had that option i think more people probably would um but yeah i think we're just kind of looking to the future and, and trying to make sure we're we're set up with with a plan and uh, i think we'll also be able to use that plan to to help us write grants to maybe have some some help from the state and federal government as we go forward. There are some major projects either in sort of the early phases or, or starting to get ready to, you know, the Court Street uh, project that comes to mind. You know, when you're looking at those sorts of projects that are already kind of in the books, are you looking at options to uh, increase the sort of bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure when you're redoing other streets? Yeah, I mean, it's just because we started the plan now doesn't mean we haven't, you know, it hasn't crossed our mind that we need to improve our pedestrian facilities prior to this, um, this study. But yeah, I mean, whenever we do Derby Street, we are we currently don't have sidewalks along a large section of Derby Street. Uh, we, we view that as a, a problem just as much as the public does. And we are going to be adding continuous sidewalks all the way along there 
to make sure people can can walk safely along that route that route on both sides of the road to make sure things are ADA accessible um, and that we are thinking about more than just the driving public. Um, on our Court Street project, we are also going to be drastically improving the sidewalks. They're in pretty rough condition right now. Uh, we're going to be adding wider sidewalks so that um, it's it's safer. Um, and we actually, along the park and um, along the high school, we're going to be adding an eight-foot-wide path so that you know we're we're definitely encouraging you know our students who are walking or biking to school to use that and be in a safer position while they're traveling along Court Street. Uh, we also have another bike trail that is planned. Uh, it's actually a multi-use path, but it'll be for bicyclists and pedestrians along Stadium Drive, which is right by the high school. So, you know, it's not like we're not currently actively trying to make this infrastructure better already. It's just um, we, we don't want that to seem random. We want to do it with an intention, um, and we think a, a master plan is definitely a benefit. That was WCBU's Colin Shope speaking with Pekin City Engineer Josie Esker about the development of a bicycle and pedestrian master plan. Pekin residents can fill out a survey and find more information at tricountyrpc.org. You're listening to All Things Peoria. Glad you're tuning in to All Things Peoria on your Thursday afternoon. I'm Jody Holtz. Nearly 200 rural hospitals across the country have shut their doors over the past decade. And in the ones that have stayed open, maternity wards are becoming a rarity. Lindsay Jones takes a look at the problems facing hospitals in central Illinois. About a month after Lincoln Memorial Hospital shut down its labor and delivery unit, Logan County dispatchers took this call. Hello. Uh, we are on our way to Springfield, uh, where we called. We're supposed to call you guys. We're, we believe we're having a baby. You're having a baby. Okay, where are you at? Uh, we're in Elkhart. But this delivery wasn't happening at home or even in town. I just got off the interstate. This baby came on an exit ramp on I-55, less than two minutes after the 911 call was placed. Oh, my God. Hey, we, we had a baby. You've already delivered the baby? Hello? Hello, are you okay? We just had a baby. She had the baby. Okay, is the baby breathing? Baby's breathing. Eyes are okay. open. According to the rest of that call, mother and baby did as well as they could for birthing near an interstate until first responders arrived minutes later. Is it a boy or a girl? Girl. Girl, congratulations. Thank you. I should have a police officer pulling up right now. Yeah, yeah, I just saw, I just saw him. All right, good. He'll be able to help you out now, okay? Congratulations. Yes, good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Having a baby on the side of the road is no one's idea of an ideal birth. At the same time, as OB units at small rural hospitals close their doors, the scenario is not unheard of. You know, they're traveling, they go into labor. Well, they pull over and you can deliver. But now we're seeing more and more of that. That's Pat Scow, the executive director of Illinois Critical Access Hospital Network, a nonprofit that connects 57 small rural hospitals across the state. In her 20 years with the Rural Health Organization, 
Scow says a disturbing pattern has developed. OBU units started to close, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. And I think we just thought it would just get better. And, you know, then another hospital closes and another hospital closes. And then the, the gaps get bigger and bigger and bigger. In that context, Lincoln Memorial Hospital shutting down its OB unit last December was far from unprecedented. And here's an example. When I started doing the critical access program in 1999, of the 52 critical access hospitals, probably 28 of them, we're providing OB services. Now there's four. There's a host of issues facing rural hospitals in general. Staffing is one of them. Rising costs is another. Scow says the one challenge that's consistent with all of these hospitals that had or still have OB units is Medicaid reimbursement rates. You know, the funding is really, you know, the biggest issue. It's not a Medicare funding issue, but it's a Medicaid funding issue. The National Center for Health Statistics' most recent data shows that over 40 percent of births in the U.S. are financed by Medicaid. That's the public health insurance program for adults and children with limited income and resources. Scow says Medicare, the other public program that covers adults 65 and older, reimburses these small hospitals cost plus for their patients. That means the care provided to someone on Medicare is paid for in full by the federal program, with 1% of the cost on top added. Medicaid, however, doesn't work like that. Medicare is a national program and Medicaid's a state program. So the state of Illinois with Medicaid recognizes that they're critical access hospitals, but they don't pay more because they're an OB patient and they don't pay any more if they have a department of OB services. And the majority of patients utilizing OB units at these rural hospitals are on Medicaid. The other services being provided are often covered by Medicare as rural populations age. Megan Hyam is an administrator at a rural health clinic in Litchfield, south of Springfield. One of the only offices that does prenatal care between St. Louis and Springfield. The clinic covers about five counties and has about 20,000 active patients. Hyam says the patient base is very heavy on Medicaid and Medicare. The rural clinic that Hyam is based at is an independent practice, but its obstetrical physicians do rounds and deliver babies at the nearby St. Francis Hospital. They, too, have watched hospitals shut the doors of their OB units across the state, and they worried. Dr. Johnson is our most senior partner in our practice, um, but he has a passion for this and kind of was getting nervous that all of these OB units were not getting the financial support they needed throughout the state and were closing, you know, not necessarily a fault of their own. IM says they're lucky. The not-for-profit healthcare organization that operates St. Francis, called Hospital Systems Healthcare System, recognizes the critical role that hospital plays for patients in the surrounding areas. HSHS is committed to kind of subsidizing the OB department at St. Francis here at Litchfield, even though there are lack of funds, lack of resources, you know, expenses keep going up. So where a lot of places, they don't have the support of a larger system, so they're forced to close, essentially. You know, they cannot make it work. Hiam says if that larger healthcare organization wasn't there or wasn't willing to take the shortfall that comes with having a rural OB unit. It's hard to speculate, but the reimbursement is not there to fund. Like if, if we had our just like a birthing center, or our own independent hospital. There's also the issue of the number of births happening at these hospitals. They've been on the decline for some time. That's partly because of rural population loss and aging trends. But there are other factors, too. Either way, Hiam says if the hospital sisters healthcare system wasn't essentially subsidizing the OB unit at St. Francis. For us in particular, I, d- I don't think it would be sustainable without a large um, brand like HSHS. Hiam says they see 200 to 300 births a year. That's about one-tenth the number of births at OSF St. Francis in Peoria. That's also far lower than the number of births at both OSF St. Joseph in Bloomington and Carl Broman in Normal last year. 
So add a low number of babies being born to a low-paying reimbursement program for hospital births, and you've got the major problem facing these critical access hospitals. Here's Pat Scow of the Illinois Critical Access Care Network. Many of these small rural hospitals had to close their doors for OB services because they were losing a million to a million and a half a year. Back in Logan County at Lincoln Memorial Hospital, the CEO said in that November press release announcing the closure, births there had dropped down to about two per week, while demand for other services at the hospital had increased. As a critical access hospital, Lincoln Memorial has 25 beds. When it did offer labor and delivery services, just three of those beds were for maternity care. Now, as is the case in many other rural hospitals, there are none. Healthcare professionals like Pat Scow say that's directly leading to more births at rural emergency departments. And like we heard at the beginning, babies born on the road, on the way to a hospital that could be hours away. The hospitals are telling me that they're seeing more and more babies being delivered in the emergency room. Because, you know, if you've got to drive an hour, an hour and a half away, you know, depends on how fast the baby's going to come. There's no quick fix to this problem, since it's one that has a lot to do with Medicaid with funding, and with the complexities of the healthcare system in the U.S. in general. Here's Megan Hyam of Litchfield Family Practice Center again. Politics is hard and, you know, convoluted, and I don't think it's something that, you know, anyone wants to ignore or put on the back burner. It's just that the funds aren't there, and things take time to kind of, you know, like, shift directions and move money into certain areas. Pat Scow with the Illinois Critical Access Hospital Network says it's going to take creative thinking to come up with the solutions. Do we start looking at how do we work it out so there's some kind of adjacent OB center or something like that? You know, or, or do we reimburse hospitals for having OR available? They're Medicaid and they have OB services. I don't know. We have to rethink the formula. In Livingston County, north of McLean County, Catholic Hospital System OSF announced yesterday it would begin sending OB patients to OSF St. Joseph in Bloomington to deliver, instead of at its Pontiac-based St. James Hospital. The organization said healthcare officials are evaluating just what services it will continue to offer. Births at that hospital have fallen from over 500 a year down to 10 to 15 a month, according to OSF. I'm Lindsay Jones. And you can tune into All Things Peoria tomorrow to hear more about the maternity care deserts in central Illinois. Plus, Lindsay Jones talks to the last OB in Logan County. And that is all we have for today's episode of All Things Peoria from WCBU, a public service of Bradley University and Illinois State University. I'm Jody Holtz. Thanks for being here today. Story help came from Tim Shelley, Colin Shope, and Lindsay Jones. Holden Kellogg produced this episode of All Things Peoria, which is made possible in part by the General Wayne A. Downing Peoria International Airport. For more information on these stories, head to WCBU.org. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe to the All Things Peoria podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, Google, or the NPR app. And we do want to know what you think of the show. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page and let us know. We're Peoria Public Radio. Or give us a follow on Instagram at WCBU Radio. This is 89.9 FM and WCBU.org, Peoria Public Radio, part of the NPR Network. Thank you.